This is uh, Dr. Pedro Ramirez, Editor-in-Chief of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. And uh, today I have the great pleasure of um, discussing this very important topic on conservative management of uh, cervical cancer with my friend and colleague, uh, Dr. René Pareja. Many of you know uh, René, he's in Colombia. Um, he's at the Instituto Nacional de Cancerología in Bogotá, Colombia, and also at Clinica Astorga in Medellín, Colombia. So uh, René, welcome to, to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much, Pedro, for inviting me. Always a pleasure. Great. So, René, the, the first topic that I wanted to discuss is I wonder if you could um, just elaborate on what are the current NCCN guidelines as it pertains to the conservative management of patients with early cervical cancer, particularly who are interested in future fertility? Of course. Of course, Pedro. Uh, many years ago, you, you couldn't find a special chapter for those patients interested in fertility preservation. By um, now, in the NCCN guidelines, there are a small section for fertility preservation in ovarian cancer, endometrial cancer, and cervical cancer. So I'm going to address cervical cancer. And the first reference we have on, on fertility preservation came from the 2016, uh, when they opened the opportunity to offer radical trachelectomy in patients with 1A2 and 1B2 tumors. And there is a footnote addressing that the results for radical trachelectomy has been validated mostly in patients with tumors less than two centimeters. Uh, in the evolution of time, you can find now in 1A2, the option of offering a conization or simple trachelectomy plus lymph node assessment either lymph node, uh, lymph node mapping or complete, complete lymphadenectomy. And radical trachelectomy to those tumors, uh, to 1v1 tumors. And again, they recommend to offer those procedures in patients with tumors uh, less than two centimeters, but they, they don't make any special emphasis in how handle those tumors uh, larger than two centimeters. In contrast, the European, the European guidelines are in opposition of offering fertility preserving procedures in patients with, with tumors larger than two centimeters are they consider, uh, consider it experimental in this subgroup of patients. Yeah, so thank you so much for obviously uh, providing that, that full range of guidelines. And I agree with you. I think that it's a lot more clear uh, as to what we need to do in patients with tumors less than two centimeters. Um, but certainly not uh, two to four centimeters, particularly pertaining to fertility preservation. And we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, towards the end of the, uh, of the podcast. Um, but uh, <clears throat> one of the other things also is before we embark on like specific details and patient selection, I wanted to ask you, uh, do you consider, should every patient who's being evaluated for fertility preservation be formally um, seen by a fertility specialist and, and, and what would that entail? Yeah, that's a very, very good question. For us, that is mandatory because the patients can have any alteration that we cannot perceive or we are not able to diagnose in order to, uh, the questions that you have to do to the patients, the medical history. So in our clinic, all the patients have to be sent to uh, the specialists in human reproduction in order to rule out any special disorder, how's the anatomy, uh, etc. Et, et but 
I strongly recommend to do that. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, you're absolutely right, and I, I agree. I think that uh, many times we go through the whole effort of going through the fertility preservation procedure, then to find out that the patient couldn't have never become pregnant uh, on their own anyway. Um, Additionally, now, I, I will add, most of those patients came to me because they are looking for get pregnant and they are diagnosed with the cervical cancer. Ah, so, interesting. Yeah, so, so it was an after the fact, after they had already been evaluated. So um, with that then also, when you see your patients uh, who are considering fertility preservation with early cervical cancer, um, tell us a little bit more about the imaging studies, because I think that um, most centers routinely obtain an MRI, but I was wondering your thoughts on the use of perhaps like ultrasonography or PET-CTs. Okay, thank you. Uh, I think the standard imaging in, when talking on fertility preservation in cervical cancer, but also in endometrial cancer is MRI, because MRI has the great sensitivity and specificity to define not only tumor size, but the distance to the internal cervical cause that is very important in order to define when we, when we cut when doing the, the resection. So all the patients uh, had to have a, a MRI. Regarding PET-CT, uh, this is curious because I'm reviewing a paper or a, a systematic literature review on the performance of PET-CT in low-stage cervical cancer. And the sensitivity is as low as 50% hmm. because, because if a patient has an MRI negative, so there are no nodes greater than 10 millimeters in, in, in transverse diameter, the likelihood to detect disease even, even if disease is present, it's too low by PET-CT. So I never, never recommend to ask for a PET-CT in those patients. Regarding ultrasound, uh, I think it's, it's a very good idea, but you have a very expert ultrasonographer. <laughs> it, it is uh, operator dependent. So they need to be trained in, in recognizing structures and to report in a, in a proper way and standardize the, the reports. So I think we are in, in America very, very far from, from it. So now let's talk about um, the surgical approach um, and particularly for radical trachelectomy, vaginal versus abdominal. <laughs> nice question. I think with uh, much respect that this is influenced by geography because Vaginal radical trachelectomy born in France and rapidly spread to some European countries such as Germany and Spain, mainly, mainly those. Uh, in the meantime, in 2007, Dr. Smith with Laszlo Ungar and another guys published on abdominal radical trachelectomy. So more easier, more familiar with the practice of a general gynecologic oncologist know uh, the requirement of having a knowledge or training in vaginal surgery. And when, when it was published, no need to do a laparoscopy. But today, laparoscopy is a routine for all of us, but not at the time that the paper was published. In America, particularly, the vaginal radical trachelectomy has been performed in Canada, in Toronto by Al Cobes and his team, in Quebec by Marie Plant and his team, in New York by Duke Yosonoda, who spent one whole year with Daniel Darjan, 
and in South America with, uh, by Erasmo Bravo in Viña del Mar in Chile and Susana Pesini in Porto Alegre in Brazil. The rest of us in America used to perform either abdominal radical trachelectomies or laparoscopic trachelectomies. Yeah, and, and that brings me all obviously to the next point that the recent study, the IRTA study, you were an author in that study, um, retrospective, looking at open versus minimally invasive radical trachelectomy. Um, just briefly, what did you find there? And, and also, how should patients be counseled today as to this question of open versus minimally invasive, given the results of the LAC trial? Yes, yes, of course. We, this is a retrospective study uh, that have been done in uh, 18 centers in 12 countries. And we finally included for the analysis 646 patients. And in open, there were almost 360 and in minimal invasive, 290. Mm. We found no difference in 4.5 years, disease-free survival or overall survival, no difference. And the survival of the patients at the end of the analysis was 99.2% in one arm and 99% in the other arm. So the outcomes, the relapses or the deaths were so few in order to find any statistical and even clinical difference when offering or, or either approach. So I think it's influenced also by geography, by training, by culture, by preference of the patients. Um, some have adopted the here in the lack study results as a reflect on fertility preserving surgeries, and they are doing just open radical trachelectomies. But in Brazil, in Chile, Argentina, Mexico, even in Colombia, there are still people performing open and laparoscopic radical trachelectomies without, without uterine manipulation and without a visible cervical tumor. Because if you have a visible cervical tumor, it is absolutely contraindicated the, the minimal invasive approach. Yeah, so, so just, just to uh, follow up to that, uh, in your patient, if, if the patient says, well, Dr. Pareja, you choose, which, is, uh, which way are you gonna do it? It depends. If the patient is thin and is in good shape and she has a previous colonization, probably a positive margin, MRI negative, probably I'll do a open uh, radical trachelectomy. If the patient is a, a big patient with a, a body mass index of 30, I'm gonna suffer if I choose an open uh, approach. Um, if there is no visible disease in cervix, the MRI is negative probably in the second patients, I, 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 should, I, I would consider uh, doing a, a, lap, a laparoscopic approach. But, okay. but we don't have reliable data to, to decide because it's impossible to perform a prospective study on that. Yeah, no, I, I agree. So, the, so then now let's turn into the subgroups. And, and I want to focus first on the, the smaller tumors, uh, patients with tumors less than two centimeters. Uh, what kind of success rates uh, do you quote to your patients for radical trachelectomy in terms of fertility preservation in less than two centimeters? This is the best group for offering fertility preservation techniques. You can offer to this group simple colonization, simple trachelectomy, minimal invasive approach, vaginal radical trachelectomy, and abdominal radical trachelectomy. 
any of those you can offer because the relapse rate in this group is usually below 5%. In, in all the scenarios, it's usually below 5%. And the death rate is around, is between 1% and 2%. So the patient will relapse, but you will rescue a, a fraction of, of them. So um, uh, I'm going to choose any of the approaches. Uh, usually, if the patient has a conization with all the tumor in the conization specimen, with free margins, probably I would review the pathology and then offer just a lymph node assessment as shown in, in, in conserved study. Yep. If the patient, if the patient no, no, has, go ahead. If the patient has positive margins, probably I would ask for an MRI and I would offer either for a recognition or a radical trachelectomy approach. But those patients with tumor less than two centimeters relapse less and have the best uh, obstetrical results. And, and Renee, do you have a sense of like in those patients less than two centimeters, how many um, actually keep their ability to be fertile? In other words, how many do not go to adjuvant treatment? How many get the surgery abandoned? Uh, it's definitely less than 10%. Probably it, it will be around 7%. It depends. Depends on the series, depends on the year of publication, and depends on the desire of the patient of getting pregnant and searching it actively. Because in, in the final calculation, you, you got the pregnancy rate, but the authors usually don't specify if all the patients looking for getting pregnant or not. Yeah. And then that brings me to, to the next question. In these very small tumors, less than two centimeters or microscopic tumors, um, what is the rate that you quote to your patients with regards to ability to get pregnant? What is the pregnancy rate in those patients? It, it depends on the technique, but for vaginal radical trachelectomy, the pregnancy rate is 59%. Mm. For those with abdominal radical trachelectomy, it's 36%. After neoadjuvant chemotherapy, it is almost 75%. And after iconization, it's 88%. So the best fertility preserving treatment is conization, but you have to select quite precisely the, the, the ideal patient. And the worst treatment in order to uh, obstetrical results is abdominal radical trachelectomy. Abdominal yeah. radical trachelectomy has the worst pregnancy rates. Yeah, and I think that actually also may be related to um, the point that I'm going to ask you next is that most likely the abdominal radical trachelectomy patients are the ones that are those patients that have the bigger tumors. So um, that brings me to the question of those patients of two to four centimeters. I, I, you know, certainly I suspect that those patients have a higher likelihood of having a conversion to a radical hysterectomy, higher likelihood of having adjuvant treatment. So what percentage do you quote to those patients as you will be able to maintain your fertility if you're doing a radical trichelectomy in two to four centimeters? You have touched a very, very interesting point. And there is a paper from Memorial of the Lung Catering from about eight years ago, showing that in patients undergoing upfront abdominal radical trachelectomy for tumors, two to four centimeters 
the pregnancy, the fertility participation rate is 31%, 31%. And there's another paper from Dr. Laszlo Ungar and his group uh, showing that the fertility preservation rate doing a front radical trachelectomies in tumors from two to four is 40%. You, you can't respond to a couple looking you for doing a fertility preservation and you can say, yes, my fertility preservation is 40%. There are other alternatives. You have to consider another things because from the oncological point of view, doing a abdominal radical trachelectomy for a tumor two to four centimeters is very, very nice. The relapse rate is around 4%. Yeah. But the fertility preservation could be too low, could be too low. You have to balance what, yeah. you, what the patient really needs and do you can really offer to them. Yeah. And then Rene, um, obviously one of the questions, particularly obviously for anybody with cancer, um, is their recurrence rate. Um, so when you're generally speaking to a patient population of less than two centimeters versus two to four centimeters, what recurrence rates do you quote them? Depends again on the technique because the relapse rate in abdominal approach is maintained always on less than five centimeters or around seven, five centimeters. In vaginal radical trachelectomy, this is a really important issue because the relapse rate after vaginal radical trachelectomy in a tumor less than two centimeters is less than 5%. But if the tumor is greater than two centimeters, the relapse rate is 20%. And that is because radical, vaginal radical trachelectomy is in, in itself a modified radical procedure. You are cutting the uterine artery and the subjacent parametria at the level of the cross in the ureter. So you cannot give a appropriate radicality for a tumor from two to four centimeters. Same happens with uh, all series on, on the initial description of laparoscopic radical trachelectomy for, for the, from the Korean guys. The Korean perform all the, all the dissection in, in the pelvic spaces, but at the end, they, they keep the ascendant branch. So they just, take the descendant branch of the uterine artery. So they have all the space for doing a full trachelectomy, but they chose to perform a modified radical trachelectomy. And the relapse rate is 22% in those laparoscopic cases uh, applying the, the same uh, sparring radical uh, uterine artery. So it is contraindicated to offer modified radical procedures in tumors of more than two centimeters. It is absolutely contraindicated. Excellent. Um, so I wanted to ask you, though, so on this same subject of recurrence rates, um, you know, a, a lot of the series that were published in Radical Trachelectomy often were with very short follow up because it was many institutions wanting to say, well, we also do it. And these are our results. So do you have a sense that we have long enough follow up on a sufficient number of patients to really consider that we know with certainty, what are the true recurrence rates here? In other words, if we were to repeat many of those series, do you suspect that the recurrence rates would be higher? Nice question, Pedro. Mm. And that's the reason, because we have systematic literature reviews. You have to remember that vaginal radical trachelectomy born in 1994, abdominal radical trachelectomy born in 1997, 
and the laparoscopic approach in 2006 and the robotic in 2008. So we have a story of more than 20 years doing abdominal and vaginal radical trachelectomy. So in the last systematic literature review published just a few weeks ago, a few weeks ago in gynecology oncology by Philippe Maurice, mm -hmm. they account for 1900, 1900 procedures successful, vaginal radical trachelectomy and abdominal radical trachelectomy. So because during the history, the numbers in, on vaginal radical trachelectomy has remained almost the same and most people is doing open radical approach. So the numbers are the same, 1900. So we have data on 1900 patients on relapse rate. So I think we have enough data to speak properly about relapse rates. And the relapse rate is, as I previously mentioned, so around four or 5%. Yeah. And, and one of the other questions that often comes up, and I think, you know, everybody agrees that is squamous carcinoma and also adenocarcinoma as ideal candidates for a radical trichelectomy or fertility preserving procedure. I think most people also would agree that probably not a serous carcinoma, a sarcoma, definitely not a neuroendocrine carcinoma. But one, one histologic subtypes that we often may discuss or call our colleagues in other institutions is clear cell carcinomas of, of the cervix. What, what are your thoughts on that? Thank you, Pedro. If you review the literature, you can find reports on every single type of cervix undergoing fertility spine procedure, clear cell, small cell, neuroendocrine, serous. But according to the current knowledge, you are allowed to offer fertility sparring procedures to women with squamous, adeno, and adenosquamous. No more. All of the rest of the cases are not a real indication. And the patient, you, you can expose the patient to a higher risk, not also relapse, but death. Yeah. So I, I don't use to offer in another histologist than previously mentioned. Yeah, and also and for, for clear cell, probably there's not even that many patients that have been reported to, for us to really determine. Now, you previously mentioned the topic of neoadjuvant chemotherapy. And um, so I want to ask you about the Contessa trial. Uh, this is an ongoing study. Uh, wondering if you could just for our audience describe what is the strategy uh, behind the Contessa trial. Um, and you know, certainly noting that Contessa is not looking at oncologic outcomes. What are your thoughts on what this trial might be able to offer? Okay, Pedro, I agree with you. No, no, that's main objective of the paper because the main objective is to address the response rate and the ability to perform fertility sparring procedures in patients with tumors from two to four centimeters measured and an MRI and with a previous lymph node dissections. And the other is to of having a functional uterus after concluding neoadjuvant chemotherapy and after obtaining clinical response. Those are the, the best, the, the two main uh, goals of the, of the protocol. But there are other secondary objectives so, such as high response rate, response rate evaluated by resist criteria, uh, complications and and progression-free survival at three years of the of the procedure. So it is considered 
but it's not the main aim, but it is considered as a, as a secondary objective. Yeah, and, and certainly we, we always do encourage that if anybody has an interest in, uh, in participating in these trials, to obviously contact the, uh, the investigators for, for those trials. Um, now, uh, beyond radical trichelectomy, just doing either a simple conization or a simple hysterectomy for patients with early cervical cancer, maybe this is something that we will be discussing as part of the standard in the future. Um, you were a co-investigator along with us at, in the CONSERVE trial. Um, the CONSERVE is finished, is published. So if you can just briefly go over the results of the CONSERVE trial. And also, you know, when we look at just a simple colonization or a simple hysterectomy, is the CONSERVE trial already just enough to change our standard of care or should we wait for the results of the SHAPE trial? Nice question. Uh, regarding fertility preservation uh, in the subgroup of patients included in the CONSERVE, we found a relapse rate of 2.5%. So better than all the relapse rates of, of every single technique using some radicality. But we need to be sure that the pathology is interpreted by a very experienced pathologist because we need to recruit 140 patients in order to obtain 100 patients for analysis. We excluded 40 patients, mostly in the central pathology review that I, I think is the most strong advantage of concern, central pathology review Adam the Anderson. So pathology is crucial. Imaging is crucial. Mm, for me, this is a changing practice study. And I actually, off, I currently offer this approach to real patients in my practice, patients that Otherwise, will be considered to enter in the conserved trial because we have the pathology, the conization, the reading the, the slides, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Regarding simple hist in tumors or in, in low risk cervical tumors, mainly those um, of less than two centimeters, less than one centimeter in deep stromal infiltration, and yes or no LVSI, we have no yet prospective data. So we need to wait the result of, of SHAPE trial. But if, if SHAPE trial is able to reproduce the retrospect information we have, definitively we are going to change our, our standard of practice. And I think at the end, at the end, we're gonna think what is the criteria for performing a radical procedure in this patient because because in all those patients with less than two centimeters, probably you will offer a non-radical technique. In those patients with two to four centimeters, you can offer neoadjuvant chemotherapy because there, I think there's enough evidence on that. And moreover, when, when Contessa trial results have been published, um, and definitively, definitively, we should not offer Mm, any sparring fertility preservation techniques for patients with tumors larger than four centimeters. Yeah. Uh, there, there are cases public, published, and David Rivero recently published a paper on that, reviewing the, the literature, and the, the, the result as not as bad as expected, as not as bad. 
but definitely it should be considered experimental eye. And I prefer do not offer to those patients fertility sparring procedures. Yeah, absolutely. So Renee, thank you uh, so much. Obviously I want to um, congratulate you on all the work that you've done, but I wanna ask you one last question. Where do you see the future of fertility preservation and conservative surgery in early cervical cancer? Five years from now, are we going to be talking about radical trichotillectomy anymore? Uh, what are your thoughts? <laughs> nice question. All, all the candidates for fertility sparring surgery that we, well, that we have now, all the candidates probably in five years away will be undergo, will undergo um, conization or simple trachelectomies with sentinel node detection in an outpatient procedure. So the patient came in the morning with a cervical cancer and at noon will go to home without, without it. So radical trachelectomy will be considered in, in who? Patient with iconization and a pathological positive margin with negative imaging, maybe. Conization plus positive margin, but a Suspicious imaging of eight millimeters, one centimeter lesion in the cervix, still one centimeter, and no nodal spread. Probably we can offer a radical trachelectomy in, in that kind of patients. I'm not sure about it, but I'm sure that radical trachelectomy was a necessary step for being where we are right now. So we need to perform a lot of radical trachelectomies in order to define that there is a very, there is a, a group of very low risk of relapsed patients. And a radical trachelectomy for those patients is, a, is too much, it's too much. Those patients will, will be enough with a, a conization or, or simple track and limb node assessment. Great, thank you so much. And again, I mean, I think those are important words, how they emphasize the transition as we learn from, from the experiences that are that are um, a result of the work of innovators like Daniel Darjan. So um, I, I want to thank you for for saying that and acknowledging that as well. Uh, thank you again, Rene, for always uh, uh, enlightening us with with your knowledge and and, and your very honest and, and sincere um, um, answers to, to to these questions. Uh, thank you for what you have done for women with gynecologic cancers and, and what you've contributed to the literature. Always a pleasure speaking with you and uh, thank you for accepting our invitation. Pedro, it's always a pleasure. Thank you and thank you the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer for promoting these kind of activities. I, I enjoy it a lot. Thank you. Thank you very much.